I am so thankful and glad to see all of you that are here today. I have felt such a good spirit from the moment I pulled up on the parking lot. I believe that God wants to do something awesome in this place. Amen. Turn around to someone and tell them I've got faith today. Amen. I've got faith. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles. So thankful to see our different guests that are here today. And uh, I'll tell you how it works around here. First time you come, you're a guest. You know, you're a visitor. Second time you come, you're still a guest. You're still a visitor. Third time you come, you're just one of us at that point. You're just part of the family. You're just part of the family. We're so glad that you're here today. And uh, the Guyatt family, I'm glad you're here. What we're going to do today is we're going to have church. I'm going to preach. Me and Sister Jasmine, we're going to preach together. And uh, when, when we get done, we're going to let God have his way. And then after that, we're going to have a baby dedication. I miss Sister Jasmine. I don't want her parents to take her away anymore. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 16. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open. Mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house. Someone say this house. That my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Perpetually. Amen. I want to preach for a little while on this subject. Three funerals away from revival. Three funerals away from revival. Can we bow our heads right now? Brother Carly, will you pray for us? Yes. We ask you, O oh God, 
Amen. Turn around and shake somebody's hand and tell them, I hope the preacher doesn't preach too long. Then you may be seated. I walked up to Brother Emmanuel on the front row and I said, I hope the preacher don't preach a long time. I sure am hungry. He said, me too. <laughs> Three funerals away from revival. An individual who is no longer with us, but who definitely impacted my life, was Bishop T.F. Tenney. He was known for his great leadership, and he was known for his great wisdom. He was also known for his insightful one-liners, or what many people called Tenneyisms. For instance, Bishop Tenney said, the will of God is escorted through earth by prayer. He also said, God may not change our circumstances until our circumstances change us. He said, God is not pleased regardless of our doctrine if we do not love people. He said, the true measure of a person's character is determined by what they would do if they knew they would never be found out. He said one time to me, when God appoints, God anoints. <laughs> Amen. I could go on and on about different one-liners of Bishop Tenney. And you, you owe it to yourself to look him up on YouTube and listen to him preach. He was a treasure. But one statement, though, that has always struck me is this. Bishop Tenney said, most churches are about three funerals away from having revival. Now that statement is shocking when you think about it, that someone would have to die in order for a church to have revival. But I don't think the bishop was necessarily talking about individuals or, or actual people. What I think that Bishop Tenney was speaking to is the spiritual. He was speaking to spirits. And what he was actually saying is this. If a church is going to have revival, there are certain spirits that are going to have to die. I'm going to say that again. If a church is going to have apostolic revival, there are certain spirits that are going to have to die. You might have thought today that you were coming to a regular church service, but I want to declare to you that this is not a regular service, but you are here to attend a funeral. And I, I wore my funeral suit today. I wore a black suit and I wore a black tie. I almost wore a black shirt, but I know we're going out to eat after this and I don't want to represent our church wrong. I got my black shoes on because I am here for a funeral. There are some spirits. If we're going to reach the lost, if we're going to reach our family, if we're going to set this city on fire, there are some spirits that must die. 
We got to make up our mind. There are some spirits that we have to kill. There are some spirits that must be buried. Because you see, revival is intentional. You cannot embrace just any old spirit that tries to make its way into the house of God and expect to have revival. You can't welcome just any old spirit into the house of God and expect for God to be happy about it. I believe it's the will of God that this church grow. I believe it's the will of God that your family be saved. I believe it's the will of God that we do a work in this city. But if we're going to do the work that God has called us to do, we're going to have to come against the strongholds of the enemy. If we're going to succeed in reaching the lost, if we're going to see miracles, signs, and wonders, we're going to have to make up our mind I will not embrace just any old thing the first spirit I want to denounce this morning I almost had him build a coffin if I'd have had time we would have built one so that I could bring out a sign with this spirit's name on it we could rip it up and throw it in that coffin and then nail it shut. The first spirit that I want to denounce to you this morning is this. The spirit of stagnation. To be stagnant means having no current, having no flow, and often having an unpleasant smell as a consequence. Can I tell you? That dead church stinks. Can I tell you that being a part of a dead church, it stinks. Spiritual stagnation would then be lack of movement, lack of growth, lack of development in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God. Donald Whitney, he's a professor, a professor of spiritual formation at Southern Seminary. He wrote a book in which he gives 10 questions to diagnose our spiritual growth. How do you know if you've been progressing in your spiritual journey? How do you know if you've been progressing as a child of God and growing the way you should? How do you know if you're spiritually stagnant? You've got to ask yourselves these questions and honest, uh, answer them honestly. First question, do I thirst for God? Do I have a growing, burning desire for God on the inside of me? Do I want to know Him deeply? Do I want to serve Him wholeheartedly? Am I governed by God's Word? Do I submit to God's word, even to the parts that I don't like or the parts that make me uncomfortable. Am I more loving? Am I more loving than I was before I got into church? Am I more loving towards my spouse, towards my children, towards my coworkers, towards my neighbors? Am I sensitive to God's presence and leading when I'm faced with tough decisions? Which school should I go 
go to? Which job should I accept? Should I get married? Should I call this relationship quits? Do I find myself pausing and listening carefully for the Spirit's leading? Do I pray about things that I need to pray about? Do I take my decisions before the Lord in prayer? Do I have a growing concern for the needs of others? Do I even think about others or do I always think about myself? Am I doing something for the kingdom of God? Do I delight in the church? Do I love the church or do I loathe the church? Jesus refers to the church as his bride. He protects the church. He loves the church. He delights in the church. Can I ask you, do you love the church? Do you love the people of God? Do you love the family of God? Do you love the house of God? Are habits, are habits of faith important to me? Is studying God's word important to me? Is having a prayer life important to me? Is being faithful to the house of God important to me? Do I prioritize my relationship with God or do I prioritize the things of this world more than the things of God? Do I grieve over my sin? Does my sin bother me? Does my pride bother me? Does my impurity bother me? Does my dishonesty bother me? Am I a forgiver or am I just someone who demands forgiveness? Amen. Do I forgive when others have messed up? Do I forgive when others do wrong? Or am I the one that's always saying, God forgive me, but God smite them? Do I long for heaven? Do I long for the presence of God? Or is my grip on the things of this world so tight that I never even think about heaven anymore and I never even think about having a relationship with God anymore there may be some in this room that have heard these questions and you've started to think maybe I have gotten stagnant maybe I have started to slow down in my progress towards heaven and towards the will of God for my life I am telling you I rebuke deadness in the name of Jesus I rebuke stagnation in the name of Jesus I speak fire over the people of this church I speak passion in your life God right now give us a greater passion for you than we have ever had before God right now give us a greater desire for your presence than we've ever had before God right now give us a greater passion for reaching the lost than we've ever had before God I don't want to be stagnant Individuals, if they are not careful, can become stagnant. But also, churches, if we are not careful, can become stagnant. A stagnant spirit can get a hold of a church. What does a stagnant church look like? What does that look like? What If I see it, what is a spiritually stagnant church? What will I see? One, worship begins to decline 
decline in the house of God. Two, decline in frequency of attendance by the people of God. Three, a lack of joy and vibrancy in the services. Four, little evangelistic desire. Five, more meetings than ministry. Six, bitterness reigns. I can't tell you what God did for me, but I can tell you what others have done to me. Number seven, worship wars. Ah, they're being used more than me. I'm going to get offended. Ah, I don't like the song they're singing, so I'm not going to worship God. Ah, I don't care for the preacher that's preaching, so I'm just going to get my phone out and I'm going to play games and I'm going to go through the church motions and all of that is a sign that a church has become stagnant. You hear me? The world is too dark for us to have a dead church. The enemy is too violent for us to have a dead church. The time is too short for us to have a dead church. My God, I want to be where God's moving. I want to be where God's working. I want to be where blinded eyes are open. I want to be where the anointing is. I want to be in a church where the glory fills the house. We're going to bury, you understand? We're going to bury dead church. It ain't going to happen. I don't care if it's a Wednesday night. We're going to have church. I don't care if it's the 10 a.m. session. We're going to have church. I don't care if it's prayer meeting. We're going to have church. My God, we're going to bury that old stagnant spirit second spirit that I'm going to denounce today is the spirit of conflict, strife, and chaos. I'm going to say that again because this ain't no joke. We need to bury. We need to kill. We need to get rid of that old rotten, nasty spirit of conflict and strife and chaos. According to 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. In other words, Satan is the author of confusion. Satan is the author of chaos. Satan is the author of conflict. Satan is the author of strife. Sowing discord is one of the most heinous sins in the entirety of the Word of God. It is a wicked sin fathered by pride and was found in Lucifer in heaven who sowed discord to a third of God's holy angels to disobey God. If there is one strategy that the devil comes back to again and again. It's creating division in a church. And the reason the devil keeps coming back to that is because it is a tool that works. Strangely, 
in our culture. Some Christians wear their divisiveness as some type of badge of honor. I've got to have my way. And if I don't like it, then I'm going to throw a fit and I'm not going to worship. If I don't like what's going on, I'm going to just tell you about it and I'm going to tell others and ain't nobody going to worship. It is a spirit of division and it's not a badge to be proud of. It's not something to brag about. It's not something to tell your family about. It's not something to tell your co-workers about. But the badge of division is a badge of evil. How do we know that this badge is a sign of the presence of evil? Paul actually defines which human behavior is motivated by God and which is motivated by the enemy in Galatians chapter 5. He begins by listing the characteristics of people whose lives are under the influence of the evil one. This is the apostles' list. Hatred, discord, immorality, jealousy, impurity, and debauchery, fits of rage, dissension, factions, envying, conceit. Amen. Did you hear that list? Those are the traits of the divider. Those are the traits of those that have been enticed by the evil one. But sadly, unfortunately, you go into many churches and you find out that that spirit is not just alive, but it is thriving. Hatred, discord, immorality, jealousy, impurity, debauchery, fits of rage, dissension, factions, envying, conceit. I'm telling you, friend, that may work in some churches, but I rebuke it in the... This is not going to be a church of division. We will not celebrate our division, but we will celebrate our unity. We will not... Let's get together and have church. Let's get together and have revival. Why does the enemy of man's soul hate unity? Mark 3.25 says, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. I'll say it like this. And if a church be divided against itself, that church cannot stand. The devil doesn't want the house to stand together. The devil doesn't want for us to unify together. The enemy wants to stop us from getting together because when we stand unified, we are able to crush the head of the serpent beneath our feet. The enemy has learned that when we are united and we ask in Jesus' name, heaven responds. 
I said when we are united and we call on the name that is greater than any other name. Heaven responds. Can't drink if the cap's on it. I'll give you an example of that. There's a man, his name is Huey Myers. Brother Huey had cancer. Started out as prostate cancer. Went all the way up his back. And the doctor said, you maybe have six months to live. How many know that's a mountain right there? So it was a Wednesday night. And you know what? It wasn't the elders that got together and said, let's pray for Brother Huey. It wasn't Brother Deontay. It wasn't, it wasn't even the preachers that said, Pastor, let's, let's go pray for Brother Huey. You know who it was? It was the young people that got together. And the young people said, is it all right on this Wednesday night if we got together and just prayed for Brother Huey? And when those young people... We're not worried about being embarrassed. When those young people, we're not worried about who's cool and who's not cool or who's trendy or who's not trendy. When those young people all of a sudden got in unity and they laid hands on old Brother Huey. Brother Huey all of a sudden, boom, something hit that man. And this, this, this was, my dad said, there's different type, people are wired different. Brother Antonio runs. Not everybody's going to run. Brother Huey wasn't one of those, those that was wired to run. But something got a hold of him. Woo! Cancer, no cancer. He had to worship God. And so he began to worship God. And as he began to worship God, Every one of those young people just fell out. Every single one of them, they fell out. They were blessed. We thought that we had had good church on that Wednesday night. But the next week when Brother Huey went to the doctor and he had scans of his body and the doctor came into the room and said, Sir, I don't understand what's going on. In the last scans, your body was full of cancer. But in these scans, we see absolutely no cancer. <laughs> He said, the doctor said, you must have a relationship with the man upstairs. I'm telling you, when God's people get together, anything is possible. When God's people get together, heaven moves. When God... Mike, I just want to move of God. I just want God to have his way. I just want to see miracles, signs, and wonders. I just want to see drug addicts baptized in the name of Jesus. I just want to see marriages put back together. I just... 
Oh, I wish you'd raise your hands and worship. burying that old spirit of division we're burying that spirit of strife the last spirit that I want to denounce today I know there's many that I could talk about the last spirit I want to talk to you about is this I want to denounce the spirit of doubt I want to denounce it According to a recent study by Berna, two-thirds of American adults who self-identify as Christians are experiencing spiritual doubt. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. Not one-third, two-thirds. That means for every three people in this place, two of them, according to this statistic, are having issues with spiritual doubt. Even 19% of devout believers who regularly attend church services will experience doubt. Spiritual doubt of various degrees has always been a part of the Christian experience. Both the fathers of the faith and the disciples, they struggled with doubt. Moses had a struggle with doubt. Abraham and Sarah had a struggle with doubt. I don't have this in my notes, but I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. Sarah laughed when she was told she would conceive. There ain't no way that don't fit into my plan. Number two, that don't fit into my comfort zone at all. Number three, I don't want it. Maybe she did, I don't know. But anyway, it didn't make sense. She laughed. There's no way that God can do that. I know that He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. But there is no way that God can work this miracle. And so she laughed. And I want to prophesy to somebody in this room. If they knew what God was getting ready to do in the lives of some of the people in this very church right now, they would laugh. And they would make fun. And they would say, God is not able to do that. God is not able to work that. God is not able to supply that. God is not able to do that in their lives. But you hear me right now God has never had to fit into our box of thinking of the way he ought to be able to do things and who he ought to be able to work with and what kind of miracle is too big I want to speak this into your understanding right now there is no mountain that is bigger than our God there is no situation that is bigger than our God there is no bill that he cannot supply there is no sickness that my God cannot heal. There is no door that my God cannot open. He is able. He is able. 
I'm speaking into you right now. That thing that the devil has told you would not come to pass. You hear me? He is a liar and the father of all liars. And if he said it won't happen, he's lying to you. It's getting ready to happen. If the devil says God can't, you hear me? God will and he's working and he's doing right now. Don't you laugh at my God. Don't you laugh at what God's doing. I'm telling you, he can use anybody. I'm telling you, he can provide anything. The problem is doubt, doubt, doubt. I doubt that it can happen. I doubt that that door is going to be open. And the truth is, according to this, two out of every three people that are even in the house of God are having doubts sometimes as to whether or not there even is a God. Amen. I want to ask any doubters in the room right now. I just want to ask you right now. If there is no God, then where did our universe come from? Where, where, look, I, I read this. I want to share it with you. There was an astrophysicist who said that anywhere from 10 to 15 billion years ago, the universe exploded into being. But if it didn't exist before the explosion, then what was it exactly that exploded? Can something that does not exist begin to exist? And if it didn't exist at one time and then did, how can that be so? Amen. It, it, it would have had to have existed existed prior to exploding. When you think that would be the case, then, then where did the material that the universe came from, where did it come from? What in the universe had no beginning? What is there that had no beginning, but then all of a sudden exploded into something? What is this? The law of causality is so fundamental to science and logic that if I said that the chair that that you're sitting on, if I said that that chair created itself, if I said it just exploded into being, you would think that I was crazy, you would make fun of me, and you would put on Facebook tonight, that pastor has lost his mind. But, but no, no, that didn't just explode, that didn't just happen. I'm telling you, somebody built that chair that you're sitting in, and I'm telling you, somebody built this planet that you're walking on right now. And somebody built the sun that this planet is revolving around. Don't you... Listen, listen. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. All you got to do is look up and see the stars. All you got to do is look up. I tell you what I feel led to do right now. I want us all to stand. Because I believe the spirit of doubt. We're about to kill this thing. The only way I know of to kill this thing is we're going to rebuke it and we're going to pray for one another. 
So we're about to do some praying. I want you right now, I want you to, to get a hold of the hands, if it's appropriate, of the person right there. I want you to look at them, and I want you to tell them, we're getting ready to pray against a spirit of doubt. 